0: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'd be one to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What if the center holds? What if the republic is in better shape than we think, and our leaders in Washington can actually find a way to compromise and maybe actually get something done? i kind got to tell you, that's how I felt earlier today when I interviewed Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House and leader of the Democratic Party, about how she looks at things. You'll see that interview later in the show, but for now, you should know that she's hoping for constructive dialogue between Democrats and Republicans, including the president, which is something I pretty much written off as impossible. Now, before I go into what I heard, remember that despite today's sedate action, Dow inching up 34 points, s and advancing 0.26%, Nasdaq actually gaining 0.40%. We are on the cusp of an incredibly important Fed meeting tomorrow. If it goes badly, it could slaughter the seemingly irrepressible bulls. The kind of people who keep buying either an oil spike or some disappointing tech news like we got today. I'm very concerned about the Fed meeting because if I were Jay Powell, I might want to stick it to the president by saying there's no need to cut interest rates. After all, we've got plenty of job growth, and the only possible slowdown out there is being caused by the trade war, which is very much by design. So why should the Fed lift a finger to ameliorate the pain? The
1: House of Pain.
0: President Trump is out there calling Powell a bonehead day after day, and even an enemy of the United States— Why would Powell do the president any favors at all? I think you go either way. There's enough evidence to justify easing or doing nothing. If I were Powell, though, I would cut and then discuss the comments Federal Express made after issuing an extremely disappointing quarterly report this very evening. As Chairman and CEO Fred Smith, an economist by trade, acknowledged, quote, our performance continues to be negatively impacted by a weakening global environment driven by increasing trade tensions and policy uncertainty. Look, the market's expecting a quarter-point cut, but largely because the economy is slowing, inflation is minimal, and Powell took rates too high, too fast, last year. The bond market with low long-term rates is practically screaming for cuts. I just don't know if Powell hears those screams. They know nothing! Given that the stock market remains overbought, there's a case to be made that we could get hammered by anything less than a rate cut with the statement that more cuts could be in the offing if business slows further. we got to have that, too, regardless, of course, for the reason for the slowdown, including the trade war. Powell could hang it all on Trump, that everything would be just fine without the president's tariffs. Pay no attention to the overly aggressive 2018 rate hikes behind the curtain. Look, I have no illusions. Powell's human. Stop trading. It's got to be tempting to refuse to cut rates purely out of spite. But at the end of the day, Powell takes his job seriously. And I don't think he'd do that no matter how miserably the president treats him. That doesn't mean he'll give us what we want, though. He'll, he might decide on a more measured pace for his rate cuts, simply because he thinks it's a good idea. Which brings me to Speaker Nancy Pelosi. I know the trade war with China is front and center for many of you, and for good reason, given the jarring nature of the tariffs and the struggle to make the Chinese government change their unfair practices. But to me, the more salient trade initiative is the prospect of this new trade pact among the U.S., Mexico, and Canada, the U.S. MCA outline, that so many executives are worried about because they think it might not be able to pass Congress. Imagine that. The prevailing wisdom here is that things have gotten so rancorous And ugly in Washington that the chances of this thing passing seem to be diminishing by the day. I think a failure would be disastrous for many of the international businesses based here. However, that's not the impression I got after talking to the Speaker of the House. Even though Pelosi isn't buddies with Trump by any stretch of the imagination, she knows that American workers, and especially American farmers, by the way, want this deal. And she believes it should get done. If she can get something concrete delivered, I think she'll shepherd it through the House, provided it has enforcement provisions. Fortunately, I don't think that's actually that much of a sticking point between her and the president. Last Thursday, the Washington Post ran a terrific editorial arguing that Congress shouldn't play politics with the USMCA deal, even if that means the Democrats end up giving Trump a win going into an election year. After speaking to Pelosi, I get the sense that a deal will be made regardless of the presidential political fallout. We talked about a host of other issues, but I think it's important to consider that the two sides, the Democrats and the Republicans, aren't as far apart as you might expect on a very crucial issue. All that said, I sure wish the market hadn't gone up today, even if it only went up a little. The probability of Powell making a misstep, even if he gives us a rate cut, is just too great. Unfortunately, he's chosen to have these press conferences every day after every Fed meeting, a decision that I think has turned out to be very ill-advised, given the tension between the White House and the gentlemanly Fed chief. But once we get through the big bad event of the Fed meeting, we'll have a respite that Washington might be able to fill with meaningful legislation and practicality. Bottom line, I think you need to stay and pay it. Pat. Even if the bulls don't get exactly what they want from the Fed tomorrow, it's just not worth trying to game this market when you know that eventually we're likely to get lower interest rates and maybe even an updated trade deal that replaces the now not-so-hot-for-America NAFTA, two things that would be very good for stock prices. Let's go to Beery in Georgia. Beery! Hi, Jim. My son has a question for you. Sure. Sure. Good dog Jim. This is Bear from Savannah, Georgia. I am turning seven tomorrow, and I would love to buy my first stock ever. What do you think about Shell? RDS Shell. I love oil Stock. Well, Bear, all right. Well, you buy. All right. First of all, the kid's got horse sense because it's got good yield. But you know what? A younger person should not be interested in yield. I want you to go for growth, Bear. I think that... Royal Dutch Shell. Also, by the way, these fossil fuel stocks, they don't trade so hot. So let's buy some growth. Let's pick up some Adobe at a discount. That's my gift to you. Hey, young kids, please keep calling. Especially children. His name is Bear. We like bulls, but we like Oh, the kid's name is Bear. I want the next kid to be Bull. Or Dan in Ohio. Dan. Hey Jim, how you doing? Dan, I'm doing well. How about you?
1: I'm pretty good. Hey, Hi. my question is about Roku. I'm up about 130%. Is it time to take my money, or do you think it's still got some room to run?
0: Hey, listen, Chief, you're up 130%. You've got to take a little schnitzel here. I want you to take out your cost basis, which you can do, because you're up that much. And then you can just forget about it and let Roku run, and congratulations. Oh, how much have you made in a Russell Index fund? How much have you been in S&P? Oh, we ought to be brainwashed. We're not allowed to pick stocks. Because we don't know what we're doing. Not! Stan pat, people. It's just not worth trying to gain this market on a day-to-day basis. Eventually, we're going to get a resident. Hey, i oh, Mad Money Tonight. If the doubt breaks out, which two stocks could lead the way? I'll reveal the names tonight's off the charts, and I think the bulls will like it. Then, I sat down with Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi to talk everything from China to North American trade deal. Do not miss my exclusive. And I'm talking to CEO of Adobe, fresh off its report. What does the market rotation out-of-cloud software stocks mean for the company going forward? And is the stock a buy or a sell? I say stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. After a rollercoaster for summer, the averages are back to within spitting distance of their all time highs. So, how do we make sense of this market? We've had rotation after rotation as different groups rapidly go in and out of style on our favorite, the Wall Street Fashion Show. But we needed some serious longer term leadership from mega capitalization companies with outsized influence in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And you know what? We just might get it. That's why tonight, we're going off the charts with the help of Dan Fitzpatrick. He's that terrific technician. He's the founder of Stock Market Mentor, as well as being my colleague at RealMoney.com, because he's seeing some very promising patterns in two of the biggest stocks around, two I know you own, Microsoft and Apple. If these two tech titans can break out to the upside here, Fitzpatrick thinks they'll pull the whole Dow higher. And after looking at the charts... He likes the odds of a breakout. See for yourself. Let's start with the daily chart of Microsoft. For the last few months, the stock has been consolidated. That's Wall Street speak for trading sideways after a monster run. At the moment, there aren't many signs of life here, right? I mean, it's just kind of... <laughs> Fitzpatrick points out that Microsoft's 50-day moving average has been drifting sideways. The moving average convergence divergence, or the MACD, an important momentum gauge, is resting right on the midline meaning there's no trend whatsoever. However, when you dig deeper into this chart, you can feel a pulse. While Microsoft traded sideways in August, it did so on lower than average volume. And this is exactly what Fitzpatrick wants to see. Why? Because when a stock is in consolidation, low volume means the big institutions aren't really selling the stock in any sort of quantity. They're just doing a bit of profit-taking. And that's what we want. Meanwhile, look at these black lines that are called Bollinger plans, Okay, Um, Bollinger, I used to be on when when we first started here. He was on all the time. I love him. And they measure the, uh, the level of volatility in a stock at a given time. Right now, the width between them is very tight. It's about 4%, which makes this what's known as a volatility squeeze for technicians. Volatility is cyclical. So when the bands get this narrow, that suggests they're due to expand sometime soon. Hey, maybe, meaning we're about to have a big move. How big? How big? Based on the rest of the chart, Fitzpatrick is betting that the move will be higher and it could be substantial. Microsoft's got a ceiling resistance at 140, up roughly three bucks from where it's trading today. If it can burst through that ceiling, Fitzpatrick thinks it could have a lot more upside. Well, that would be so bullish for the market. By the way, it's one of the AAA balance sheet along with J&J. All right. How about the daily chart of Apple, which we all know everybody's focused on constantly? In many ways, this chart is similar to Microsoft's. You've got a stock trading in a relatively tight range for the past few months. You've got a rising floor of support. Look at this. I mean, it is the same, right? But there's a key difference here. Apple's already broken out above its ceiling of resistance at 217. The 200-day moving average has just started to turn up. That's the blue line. Okay, you see that, the inflection right here? Uh, the 50-day moving average is trending higher, all good. Stocks made a pattern of higher highs and higher lows. This is exactly what the technicians look for. Fitzpatrick's favorite part, when Apple blew through the ceiling of resistance, it did so on higher volume. Volume is like a polygraph. And high volume means the move is telling the truth. When the stock didn't pull back a bit on Friday and Monday, well, what happened? It did so on lower volume. That's precisely what you want to see. Hey, but plus, even during yesterday's decline, Apple held above 217, which suggests that the ceiling has now become the floor. Fitzpatrick recommends sticking with this one as long as the stock remains above its 50 day moving average, currently down about 6% from here. As for me, you know my view own Apple, don't trade it. Bottom line, the charts as interpreted by Dan Fitzpatrick suggest that Apple and Microsoft could both be ready to roar, potentially giving this market the leadership that it deserves. Stay with Kramer. Since the new Congress was sworn in at the beginning of the year, we've had divided government with the Republicans controlling the presidency and the Senate while the Democrats hold the House of Representatives. Under divided government, nothing big gets done unless both sides are willing to compromise, meaning President Trump needs to come to an agreement with his arch rival, Nancy Pelosi, the Democratic Speaker of the House. But is compromise even possible in this ultra polarized political climate? How about we go straight to the source? Earlier today, I had a chance to sit down with Nancy Pelosi, who, as the Speaker of the House, is arguably the second most powerful person in America. I heard someone who's pragmatic in approach, someone who instills some much-needed hope into the process. Even as I know, hope should not be a part of the stock market equation. Take a look. First, Madam Speaker, thank you so much for your graciousness for appearing on that It means the world to me
2: my pleasure to be here at MAD Monday. <laughs> Thank
0: you. Uh, there are lots of people who are hoping in the business community that we'll get an agreement with Canada and Mexico and that you'll go forward with it. Even the Washington Post this weekend said, you've got to get along with this. But it also involves giving one of your opponents a big win, President Trump. Where are we?
2: Well, first of all, when the others are saying, bring it to the floor, there is nothing to bring to the floor yet. But we hope that we 're on a path to yes. Uh, the most important issue outstanding is enforceability if you don 't have enforcement in a trade agreement, you just have a nice conversation. The idea that we would give a a victory to the president is irrelevant it 's a victory for the american people well I'm, you i 'm
0: I think <laughs> that that 's a breakthrough in itself, madam speaker, because I know that a lot of corporate, a lot of CEOs think that this could really spur a lot of business. If it's just enforcement, so to speak, then there's sounds like a likelihood that we could get a deal.
2: Yes, I hope so. Here's the thing. I myself voted for the first NAFTA. I took a lot of heat from a lot of quarters for doing so. And I I admit I have some disappointment about its enforceability. So now we've made some progress on some of the issues in the uh, provisions in the the, uh, agreement. But we have to have, it's, it's, it is, doesn't even count if it isn't enforceable, right. enforceable for America's working families, enforceable in terms of the environment and issues that relate to pharmaceutical drugs, issues like that. But I'm optimistic. We've been working very diligently to get to yes in a timely way. But until we do, there is nothing to bring to the floor.
0: Are you the, the Democrat, leading Democrat, that has the best relationship with the president because you're
1: practical?
2: Oh, I don't know if anybody has a good relationship with the president. But he is the president of the United States, right. and I do respect the office that he holds. And where we can find common ground, we have an obligation to do so. Where and we can't, we stand Right, Right. But at the
0: same time, uh, he makes fun of uh, the Democratic leader of the Senate. He makes fun of the Federal Reserve chair whom he picked. He doesn't
2: make that fun of you. Well, I'm a big advocate for independence of the Fed. Right. So I don't like when he goes down that path. Right. And I didn't like when other Democrats would go down that path in the Congress in the past. So uh, forgetting what he may or may right. not say about me from one day to the next. What's important is what he stands for. And we have massive disagreement sure. there. On the other hand, where we can find agreement, I think we have a responsibility to do so. And I'm optimistic that we can be on a path to yes. We're not there yet.
0: Okay, how about China? Do you believe China is a threat to the U.S. hegemony? Do you think that because of, of intellectual property theft, because of subsidization of industries that have wiped out some of our industries,
2: that tariffs might help? Well, let me just say on the China question, uh, I've been involved in this since Tiananmen Square, fighting the Chinese on human rights. But at the same time, thinking, well, in terms of what it, 30 years ago, the trade deficit with China was $5 billion. I thought, oh, my goodness, for $5 billion, we could use our leverage, stop their violation of our intellectual property, stop the uh, export, get market access, stop proliferation of weapons of mass destruction, and free prisoners arrested at time of 10 and square, $5 billion a year. Uh, Corporate America, oh, they fought that. I could win every vote in the Congress. I couldn't write a presidential veto. No, you have it all wrong. It's all going to work out. Just peaceful evolution. You know what the trade deficit is now? Over $5 billion a week. A week? A week. Okay. It went from $5 billion to $5 billion. So we have, the American consumer has subsidized the growth of the middle class in, in China. They cannot be ignored, uh, but they cannot continue... Uh, to uh, violate our trade relationship. I think the president had to do something about it. I'm not sure he went the right way. I think we should have done it multilaterally with the EU and the rest. And what I would say is, whatever path you want to take to uh, uh, improve a trade relationship, do not empower the other side uh, to hurt your farmers and your consumers.
0: Now, again, what I hear is is that we do have to... uh, not take it for granted that the deficit with China is an okay thing. You want that changed.
2: Of course, and it shouldn't be that way. And not only is it large, it's the percentage of uh, imports from China to exports to China from us is just too big.
0: I I wish there were an easier way, but you think multinational attempt, rather build a coalition, would be Mm -hmm. better than what's going on with the presidential tweets?
2: Well, what are we doing? But... uh, uh, right now, we're having a debate in our, uh, our national defense bill about, do we include an increasing amount of money that we give to farmers because they're at a disadvantage? The, why should our farmers have uncertainty uh, because of the tactic that the president used, rather than the president having an approach uh, that shows our strength, right. uses our leverage, but doesn't make our farmers pay the price? But
0: at the same time, uh, just to push back a bit, uh, the Chinese have been unrelenting un, un, uh, in taking American jobs. It, it's That's been true. going on for years. You've been a speaker about that. Is this a way to stop it?
2: Well, it has to be. I mean, the status quo cannot continue. Uh, but I will say that um, you know there are many other ways we can work with China, whether mm-hmm. it's a climate change, issues and the rest. It's not a question of saying, I hereby declare that all businesses should come home from China. I mean, really? Uh,
0: very fair. Really? Now, um, uh, let sorry. me switch topics for a second. Uh, Single-payer national health care versus health care insurance for all. You seem to want to take a take a breath and say we can't break the budget. You seem to be the only person who's <laughs> thinking about <laughs> not breaking the budget. What's the right path here?
2: Well, we think the right path is the Affordable Care Act, uh, and that is a path to health care for all americans right. uh, i always say to people when we win uh, we can put everything on the table and see what it means in terms of benefits for the consumer cost to them and cost to business to corporate america which is paying a lot of the price right. as well as cost to the federal government and local government so i believe that the path is to health care for all is a path that is uh, following the lead of the Affordable Care Act.
0: When I listen to the candidates in the debate, it seems like the majority do not necessarily favor that half. <laughs> uh, is there a way to rein people in? Is there a way to say, listen, we're not going to bring that in the House?
2: Well, the, well, when we win, and I anticipate that we will win the House and hopefully win the Senate and certainly win the White House. But in, in the course of all of that, let's use our energy to have health care for all Americans. And that involves over 150 million families have health care through the private sector, through insurance companies and we don't want to empower insurance companies but we want to empower. Now what the Affordable Care Act did, it not only expanded health care to 20 million more Americans it increased the benefits no longer having a pre-existing condition prevented you from getting health care no lifetime limits, no annual caps on the health uh, coverage that you can have Uh, it empowered it was, it was actually called Patient Protection Affordable Care Act. And uh, that, I think, is the path we should go on. I think that what is being put forth, I said, if, you, if that's what you believe, God bless you, but know what it entails and what that debate would be like. But it isn't about national health care. It's about a, a single payer.
0: Okay. Now. Uh, I always say at the top of Man money, it, it's not about friends, it's about money. But we do have a mutual friend in Mark Benioff, co-CEO and founder of Salesforce. He believes that business, he's got a great new book out, business has become the best platform and agent for social change. Do you agree?
2: It could be. And in Mark Benioff's case, it is. Uh, but I do think that there's much more room for us all to work together for social change. The poet Shelley said the greatest force for moral good is imagination, so let's combine imagination with uh, uh, all aspects of our economy, because we really do have to address the issue of disparity in income in our country. And as we do so, we can use our our, our work that we're going to do to, uh, to address the climate crisis in a green way, create new jobs be number one in the world in green technologies and the rest, but bring everyone along with that as we go down that new path.
0: Right now, we're number one in the world when it comes to digital, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google. There are some people in the party who believe that these companies have both violated the trust and also are quasi-monopolies that need to be uh, brought up by antitrust law. How do you feel? And are these companies different? You know all of them, especially where yeah. you're from. You've had a long background in technology. Yes. What do we do?
2: Well, first of all, I don't. I think that uh, when you say Democrats, it, there's many of these initiatives are bipartisan yes. in the Congress, uh, whether it comes to uh, antitrust or whether it comes to privacy and the rest. And, and anything that big should be subjected to scrutiny to see if the public interest is served. And also... Uh, if the uh, um, digital interests are served. Right. How does this how does this serve all the benefits that could come for that without having the consumer pay the price or the or the, uh, uh, or the new world of technology that we're in not be advanced in a way that is the best possible way. And I think everything should be subjected to a standard uh, that says that. Now we have issues that relate to children and their exposure and uh, privacy issues they, these are uh, complicated issues and they have to be dealt with in a very sensitive and knowledgeable way I don't think they're partisan them
0: okay do you think that they displace jobs or create jobs in the mass
2: well I have to hope that they, you know I'm the big believer in technology and tasking for what we need and my I, I believe that because one of the fears that is out there is, as you know in the that President Trump played upon is uh, the uncertainty and insecurity security that America, some of America's workers felt from innovation, from globalization, and from immigration. Fewer jobs are lost through immigration. But no use going into that. Um, globalization is a real thing. It is a reality. It is right. going to happen. So let's see how we play in that in a very positive way. And the innovation has to be, a, it has right. to play positively. But it is a decision that a decision that we have to make. Uh, that as we task for how we go forward, that we bring everyone so that people see a place for themselves and their families in the future. Okay, so what do
0: you uh, you say to people who think that the Democratic Party or the leaders have gone socialist versus
2: capitalist? And what did you say? That the Democratic going, Party did leaders? Some of the,
0: well, the politicians who are well, running for president. Uh, uh, because uh, I know where you. you stand. You are a capitalist, <laughs> right. not a socialist.
2: Yeah, I, I do think that... Uh, uh, as with everything, capitalism can, its implementation. I always used to say uh, Adam Smith actually wrote two books, one Wealth of Nations and another one about our responsibilities to the community as a practical matter. Right. As a practical matter. I, so um, I, I, I don't know, I don't, how can I say this, with all the respect in the world for all of our presidential candidates, and I think any one of them would be a better president of the United States in terms of. Integrity, etc. Uh, I, um, I do not support how uh, some of the uh, policies that are being advocated. And I think it, it, it's a discussion. It's a beautiful discussion, and that's what we should have. But we have to come together. E pluribus unum. That's what our founders advocated. For many, one. You know how many, or how different. But they knew we had to always strive for oneness. So let's try to unite the country, not divide it, and that, that's what elections are about. When
0: I went on Twitter to ask for questions for you, uh, people, the overwhelming theme is that you are practical <laughs> and you want to get something done, and that you can be the leader to do that. Too much pressure, or is that something you view yourself as?
2: Well, I do uh, I do think that we have a, uh, nothing is too much pressure for me, but I do think our founders—today you know, is the anniversary of the Constitution. On September 17th, it was approved. And, it, and, and Benjamin Franklin coming out of the room, they asked him, what is it? He said, it's a republic, if we can save it, if we can keep it. And I think it is at risk. The Constitution is at risk in terms of checks and balances, freedom of the press, etc. And so we have to, but I think that is a unifying thing, the Constitution. But at the time, our founders, Thomas Paine said, the times have found us. In the darkest days of the revolution, the times have found us to make the fight. We think the times have found us, not all of us, I mean, not even one of us, not, not to put ourselves in a category of greatness of our founders, but in a sense of urgency that we have to act in a way that unifies the country.
0: Well, and if you go behind doors and negotiate, is it different from what we see in the front pages and the rhetoric?
2: The uh, Republicans in Congress are f- fully subscribed to the president's agenda. So, actually, I believe that the best form for discussion is, the public se- is, is the, in the public. Adam, uh, Abraham Lincoln said public sentiment is everything. With it, you can accomplish anything, without it practically nothing. So the public has to weigh in on some of these things.
0: But you have been adamant, look, the way that you should approach the presidency is by election, not by impeachment. It seems that there are people in the party who would prefer impeachment, but that I keep hearing you want to get something done.
2: Well, we are legislating. we passed right. many bills that are including gun violence protection, which we're hoping right. the president will support, many pieces of legislation to lower the cost of health care, to grow our economy create jobs protect women et cetera net neutrality over to the senate they won't bring up anything they say uh, mitch mcconnell says he's the grim reaper we say no these bills are alive and well in the public and the public will weigh in but uh, the so we're legislating we're also investigating because we take an oath to protect and defend the constitution and we have to do that and where necessary We are litigating and sending it to the courts. We'll follow the facts where they take us. Uh, But I do think that uh, how we do it has to be respectful and unifying.
0: One last question. You seem as tireless as ever, having the ice cream in the morning, Mm -hmm. barely sleeping. Chocolate. Chocolate. You keeping that schedule? (laughs) I mean, are are there whole nights that you just don't sleep? I've never seen you without energy.
2: (laughs) Well, it helps being an Italian-American, I always say. Dark chocolate, that's my method, and a, a wonderful family. Well, and a I, wonderful I, husband who helps with all Paul, of it. Paul, lovely. Well. All right. Well, I want to thank, thank you so you. much. My pleasure. And speaker
0: of the House, Nancy Pelosi, just thank you for being on Mad Money. Thank my pleasure. Spending some time lost in the wilderness. The cloud stocks have finally started making a comeback in recent days, including today. But is the rebound sustainable? Consider the case of Kramer fave Adobe, the digital media titan that's one of our cloud kings. After the close study, Adobe reported a terrific, solid top and bottom line beat. Unfortunately, the guidance was viewed as a little weak, and the stock ended up getting slammed in after hours trading. So is this a viable pullback, or do we need to be more cautious? Let's check in with Shantin and Orion. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of Adobe. To get a better sense of the quarter and his company's prospects, Mr. Ryan, welcome back to Mad Money.
1: Thanks for having me, Jim. Always great to be on your show. Thank you, Shantanu. Uh, once again,
0: fantastic quarter. I look at it as marketing and commerce are on fire, much better than expected. Are these the kind of customers that are the $33.99 customers, the $79.95 customers? Are these big customers or small and medium? What's doing it?
1: Well, Jim, we actually experienced growth across all three of our segments. And so when you looked at Creative uh, Cloud and the net new ARR that we got in that segment of the business, uh, that was a record for a Q3 uh, many years after the introduction of the product. Document Cloud had an exceedingly uh, strong quarter, and we're seeing tremendous adoption of our paper to digital uh, initiatives. And on the Experience Cloud, again, 34% uh, revenue growth, Every single enterprise needs to understand how you can engage digitally with customers. And I think what's unique about Adobe is this is every customer from a K through 12 student to an individual freelancer all the way to the largest enterprises in the world. The breadth of our offerings and our customers is truly fueling this success.
0: I'm now getting a feeling that if you're involved in anything creative, at any university or even any high school, you have become the standard. That's in America. Is that also becoming worldwide?
1: Well, we've always talked, Jim, about uh, the fact that instead of just a focus on STEM, we love STEAM because the world without arts would be an exceedingly boring place. One of the things we actually did this quarter was we have a new ambassador network in educational institutions, to your point, and we're targeting over a hundred colleges, where these students are actually being the evangelists uh, for explaining why creative needs to be part of the curricula. So getting that younger generation excited about expressing themselves, we certainly believe uh, that that's going to fuel our growth. But in addition to that, as we come up on MAX, which is the largest creativity conference in the world in November, I think what you're going to see from our innovation roadmap across new areas like immersive content, what's happening with gaming, what's happening across uh, devices that now have styluses. We announced a new product called Fresco for art and illustration. So the breadth of our products is amazing but you're absolutely right. It's about getting these customers young and enabling them to tell their story.
0: I don't know if people realize when you talk about a mid 30 percent growth the average growth for a lot of the retailers I use, because you guys are every bit a part of commerce, is not as strong as your growth, which means that you're both, I believe, taking share and also expanding the market.
1: You're right, Jim. I mean, what is really unique right now about our digital experience solutions is that we have the first mile. And the first mile is content management, it's the web infrastructure, it's mobile applications that people use to engage with enterprises. And we have the last mile in commerce. That's the Magento acquisition that we did a while ago, uh, which enables you to make every experience shoppable. Uh, Magento had a great quarter. We grew that bookings 40% uh, year over year in Q3. And so I know uh, you talk a lot about uh, your rule of 40, Jim. Uh, We're blowing that away when you think about our growth rates as well as our margin.
0: No, that's true. The other night we said you were the least expensive, high uh, large cap growth stock. Now, I want people to understand how important the Adobe Max conference is in November. That has often been where you lay out the guidance for your coming fiscal year. There are a lot of people after the close today who are selling your stock because they're looking at the guidance you're giving us. I i have always felt that the guidance I care about is the November guidance. And if you're trading off this guidance, you may be missing an opportunity. I'm not saying you're doing anything that is being too conservative, but it has been this has been the quarter that you and I have been together where there are people who trade the stock instead of own it. That has been an unwise way to own Adobe, correct?
1: Well, uh, we do look forward to the FA meeting, as you point out, Jim. That's when we lay out, you know, the growth opportunities ahead of us. We talked last year about how we had a greater than $100 billion addressable market opportunity. Uh, you know, we're growing the top line 20%. Our Q4 uh, targets show that revenue growth will be north of 20% with EPS growth accelerating even above that. So we're in rarefied atmosphere. We're focused on delivering an incredible innovation roadmap across all three of our clouds and we look forward to sharing more about our forward-looking strategy uh, at the analyst meeting that you allude to at max
0: Uh, the one thing that we have to do is our last question but the artificial intelligence component you showed us it it blew our minds away how ingrained is it now into your commerce package
1: Well, uh, our artificial intelligence uh, framework is called Adobe Sensei, Jim, and it's embedded across every one of our products. Uh, It's when you look at a piece of content and say, how did they do that? There's probably an aspect of Adobe Sensei in that. The fact that we have hundreds of trillions of transactions that we're processing on behalf of our enterprise customers, and we can predict in real time uh, you've talked about the Adobe Digital Index, which talks about shopping patterns globally, that coming from Adobe Sensei. And so, you know, uh, it's a part and it's a fabric of all of our innovation. And we're excited uh, to unveil a new innovation soon.
0: Well, well, congratulations. I think the people who trade the stock and not own it have been gravely mistaken, and they will do so once again. Shantanu Narayan, thank you so much. Chairman, President, c- CEO of Adobe. Good to see you, sir.
1: Great to be uh, on your show, Jim.
0: It's another great quarter. You want to dump it? I mean, come on. There's a huge November meeting. This was a terrific quarter. There's so much good ahead. And as we did the other night, showed you, it's the least expensive, high-growth stock that we follow. Man, money's back in. It is. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, skate? Dive over the lightning round. Kramer, it's start with Robert in Illinois. Robert! Good afternoon, Mr. Kramer. Longtime listener, first-time caller. Long time, first time. all, Thank you for all you do for teaching us, the home gamer, about investing, the importance of doing our own research, yes. and for making us better investors. Yes. My question is in regards to Centene Corporation. You've had the CEO on your show many times, and I personally believe in their story. The company's earnings per share is expected to grow 24.9% this year, but the stock has taken a little bit of a dip lately. Is this a good buying opportunity? I think it is. I'm beginning to believe that the worries Ah. about managed care stocks are overdone, and you've got to do some buying, and Nidorf's doing a good job. Jeff in California. Jeff! Jeff. Jim. Jeff from San Diego. Yeah, what's happening? Well, listen, I admire and thank you for all your insight and keep us all informed out here. I just bought uh, a bunch of Lynette a couple weeks ago, LTI, and uh, it had a great run. I went in bought 50% more late last week. you think I got too greedy? Yeah, I do. I think that this is really a short squeeze, and you're part of it, because I don't really like the core business model. I don't want, you know, to me, I would not buy anymore. I think you've got enough. If anything, I would be off the table. Let's go to Paul in California. Paul. Yeah, Dr. Kramer. What's thank going you for on? All, uh, thank you for all of your uh, information and knowledge. Thank, thank you. I uh, wanted to share uh, a stock with you that I wanted to get your opinion whether it passed the rule of 40 fastly FSLY Edge computing content delivery Edge computing is really really hard Stocks had a good run Um, I I actually want to buy here a little throw a little switcheroo at you If NVIDIA could merge with Mellanox you'd have the ultimate edge computing company and that's the one I want you to own Adam in New Jersey, Adam Hi Jim, how you doing? Good, how about you? Very good so I've been watching the stock Corn Ferry International. Sure. Which is down over 40% over the past year, as you probably know. Uh, I know you've had the CEO, Gary Bernison, on your yeah. show a few
2: times. So what is happening with that company? Uh, let me look and- into it.
0: That stock, That is shocking to me that that stock's down. By the way, uh, Endeavor just filed to go public, which is my agent, full disclosure, and I think that's going to be a great buy. And that lays the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Good traders a lot like a therapist. You're always trying to measure the mood of the market. You need to know if it's feeling jubilant or feeling depressed or just plain goofy. Back when I used to trade at my old hedge fund, it was always easier when I had a good read on Wall Street's emotions. I got a lot of practice. So believe me, when I say that today's market is a forgiving market, so forgiving, I guess you could call it naive. Let me give you some examples. Last week, one of the top performers uh, in the S&P 500, Chipotle, got clocked because New York City sued the chain for violating some work rules involving scheduling. Stock plunged 6%. It's part of a broader route in the restaurant cohort. Today, though, Chipotle's back, up nearly 26 points. Why? Because they're adding a new steak dish, the first in three years. Sure, the carne asada may be a a limited time offer, but it's got buyers going wild. I think it's silly. Although as someone who's been recommending Chipotle relentlessly from when it was in the 300s, I'm thrilled. (laughs) Beyond Chipotle, the whole restaurant group charged higher, in part because Cracker Barrel put up good numbers. This chain is the most vulnerable to higher gasoline prices, as it's got so many locations dotting the interstate highway system. But Cracker Barrel delivered a strong quarter, and the price of crude came back down today. So the stock surged three bucks. It's like we never even had an oil shock. Hey, by the way, it's taking yum up with it. Then there's Ulta Beauty. Oh, you've been asking about this one. It's been in the doghouse ever since it reported a breathtakingly bad quarter at the end of August and lost 30% of its value in a single session. But today it's showing signs of life. I know the Cockroach 3, where if you see one missed quarter, that means your luck to have money more. Yet buyers are lining up to take advantage of what seems like a developing floor in the stock. Could the punishment be over? You know, it wouldn't surprise me. Ulta's a very well run company, and I think its earnings miss was the result of a rare missed stop, not a continuum. Got a few more examples of this market's forgiving nature. A little over a week ago, Tyson Foods slashed its guidance, mostly due to commodity market volatility. The stock got slammed from $93 all the way down to $80 bucks a week later. But now Tyson's working its way back up. In fact, it, it, it's already rebounded to $89. Or take Corning. Last night, the company slashed its full-year forecast thanks to some display glass issues, telecom, television. Yet the stock only lost uh, less than 2 bucks. about 6%, I expected far worse. That's the market's mercy in action. (laughs) Finally, Nucor, the big steel maker, pre-announced some ugly numbers. Talking about earnings 75 to 80 cents a share, Wall Street looking for buck 03, And what happened? The stock barely got dinged. I think it makes a certain amount of sense, frankly. Nucor is the best steel company in America, perhaps the world. Fantastic balance sheet, history of dividend boosts, always profitable, still in a rough tape. The stock would have been down 2 bucks minimum. Put it all together. And this market reminds me of My Girl by The Temptations. It's got sunshine on a cloudy day. To me, that means take advantage of this forgiving tape and look for the dips like the ones you will get tomorrow when Kramer fave Adobe as well as FedEx open for trading. Stick with Kramer. Now I know the stock of Adobe is going down in after hours trading, but you have to understand that this is this weird interlude between September and the November giant analyst meeting where historically Shantanu and Orion has actually guided up. So do not be a sucker and blow the stock out while it's down. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you to find it just for you right here on Med Money. I'm Jim Cramer and I will
1: see you tomorrow. Sometimes it takes a different approach